Welcome to the Jackie Service Show. I'm Jackie Service, where we are talking all things people strategy, entrepreneurship, and how hiring the right humans will unlock the next phase of growth in your business. As a former corporate VP of HR, my life completely shifted when I learned I had a brain tumor. From this moment forward, I knew that there was more. I dove headfirst into healing, mindset work, and spirituality. And from this space, my entrepreneur journey was born. Now I am a people strategist and founder of Serve Recruitment Agency, a boutique recruitment firm that helps scaling companies hire aligned leaders for growth. In this podcast, I'm going to share about my business journey, entrepreneurship, leadership, and how hiring the right humans unlocks massive potential. Welcome to the show. Are you confused about hiring? You're not alone. Majority of leaders struggle to figure out who they need, in what roles, and when, and how these people will have the greatest impact on the growth of their business. This is why we created People Strategy Sessions to do a deep dive into your business and help you build a clear roadmap on the talent you need to drive sustainable growth. We dive into your greater why, where you are today in your business, where you want to go in your business from a growth standpoint, and ultimately, who do you need to enable that growth overall? For more information, please send an email to Jackie at JackieService.com or feel free to reach out at JackieService across all platforms. Welcome back to another episode of the Jackie Service Show. You're in for a ride because there's absolutely no plan for this podcast. We're going to unlock a lot of different conversations, a lot of different topics, because that's the relationship I have with the woman who is sitting in front of me, Miss Erin Kearns. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jackie. How are you doing today? That's always, you ask me that every time. And I'm like, Erin, that's a loaded question after the experiences no. we've been through. Mm-hmm. I'm amped up today. I've had this momentum shift in the last few days where I'm making commitments to myself and keeping them and stacking these just, you know, the small wins that start to create this momentum that shows up. So the last few days has, has been that like a momentum builder, which feels really cool. So thank you for asking. Yeah. What's the um, biggest commitment that you're excited you kept to yourself in the past couple of days? Ooh, what's the biggest commitment I'm excited about? Um, up earlier in the Ooh. morning. What it's created a lot of different outcomes, but up earlier in the morning has allowed me creative space, time to think, time to process, time to connect to self, time to move. So it's completely shifted. The hour earlier has given me freedom and time to just check in with myself at a different level. So used to be what I always did, but that's the term used to be. And it's these small changes we often need to reintegrate to just come back fully to self. So great question. Now I get to ask you, how are you today? Oh, I'm so good. Um, I, I am really excited to have this conversation with you. Um, I love all the conversations you and I get into. Um, And, you know, feeling really pumped about summer and the big shift that's about to happen in my household. Um, You know, I'm feeling in lockstep with my husband on it, which is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And our two kids are really, really stoked to spend the summer with all of us um, all together no camps, just solid family time. So Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, let's dive into a bit more of your background, who you are, your story. And then I'd love to circle back around to the intentionality of things like spending the summer together with your family and where that comes from and what some of your intentions are as you move through that time together. So I want to like hold that as we get a little bit clearer about your path and your story and then come back to where the decision-making comes from today versus where the decision-making may have come from in past. So real quick, for those that don't know, Aaron and I met in a intense four-day container called the Revenant Process. Intense. I don't even know what the right word is. Like 
unlocking, soul opening, enlightening. There's so many words I could use for that experience. I did a recap of it uh, earlier in the podcast. So if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it, where I actually give examples of some of the experiences that I went through and lived through. But Aaron and I had a chance to get to know each other really late, later in the four-day process, as we were partnered in a group of four women to come up with a celebration after the four days. And Aaron, you were such a gift to me. And I just want to acknowledge you for that, to really hold a mirror up to this chameleon acting side of me that shows up in environments like that, where I think I need to be quote unquote perfect, or I need to show up in a certain lens. And what Aaron helped teach me in that moment is it's okay to not always have a plan and it's okay to open up to the experience of life and just allow things to unfold the way they're meant to unfold. So I just want to acknowledge you for that upfront before we get to your story, because that was such a gift and something I reflect on, think on, and have tried to integrate into my life as I've left that environment. That, that experience was like such a gift to all of us. Right. And the four women, one, one of them being yourself was such a gift to me because, you know, just for the people who are listening, I was experiencing, um, I'm a pretty upbeat person generally. Um, and I was in a pretty low space and how you held me in that was allowing me to, to have that low energy and let life unfold as it needed to for me, which doesn't happen very often in, in the wild. Right. So I think that you called it a container, um, allowed for us to just be as is, which is such a gift. Um, and I really appreciate you being able to, uh, hold, hold that space for me as well. So anyways, um, let's dive in. I'm, I'm know that there's so many chapters that we can get into, but I'd love you to just like go back and talk a little bit about like who you are upbringing, where that led to from a career standpoint and how you have evolved since then as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a very interesting path. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles. I, you know, have lived other places, but I'm now back at home is Los Angeles for me and my family at this point. Um, you know, normal upbringing, sisters, uh, you know, parents still married. They've known each other since they were kids. We, you know, had a pretty adventurous life, camping, outdoors. My father's an architect. We built our house. My mom is in real estate. Um, you know, so just traditional upbringing. I really gravitated towards the arts. And so went to art school my entire life, first performing arts, then visual arts. And that transpired into me falling into fashion. Um, my parents are very hardcore in the sense of your own personal responsibility. So I started working when I was 12. Uh, my first job was at a surf camp. Uh, I taught kids how to surf and then <clears throat> the arts took over and I started designing clothes and ran a shop here in Los Angeles and started selling designs to larger brands. Um, from there, I went on to college and got my degree in fashion design uh, with an emphasis on technical fit and fabric treatment, meaning I learned how to make patterns, so flat patterns and uh, three-dimensional patterns really well. And I messed around with a lot of chemicals and how we treat our fabrics so that they're actually enjoyable to wear. Um, and love doing that was very, very hands-on. Uh, there's photographs of me, you know, hand dyeing all sorts of fabric and building these massive vats through college. Um, it was a lot of fun. I loved it. Um, and that was in San Francisco. And then I was trying to figure out what I was going to do in my adult life, you know, had kind of cobbled together all these jobs to pay for everything and went to New York and um, interned with a fashion production company. And within a day, the guy who owned the company was like, if you work like you worked yesterday, um, I'll pay you for the rest of the week. And I was like, great. Um, so work for the rest of the week. And at the end of that week, I said, if you invite me back to run 
your shows next season, I will increase your margins by, I said something probably pretty astronomical, like 30% or something. Um, and he looked at me kind of crazy and I gave him the top three reasons of how he was leaving money on the table. And he was like, come back next season. You've got a job. Did that. And at the end of that season, we decided to start our own production company. So I produced fashion shows uh, with my partner um, around the world. Essentially, we had an office in New York, an office in Paris. Um, and we like had the best time. It was such a creative gift. Um, he was more the you know client side. I was the execution side. I ran these massive jobs all around the world. Did that for about five years and decided to go out on my own at the end of that. Um, consulted with large companies, um, likes of Target, Nike, um, mostly with their creative directors. And in that process, I really started to understand my gift, which was bringing vision to life. And how do these massive creative ideas get get operationalized and brought into fruition. And um, loved doing that. While I was doing that, I got approached by a tech company, um, a friend of a friend who was starting a company, didn't know how to bring this company to life. And so I came alongside this, this incredible engineer um, and helped stand up a, a great company called Hyperloop Technologies, which is innovating on public transit. Um, ran that company as head of operations for a little over seven years. Um, grew it from three people in a garage to 450 people um, and all the ups and downs. Um, I then went to an AI tech company um, that provisioned um, parking lot access via their camera technology. Um, ran that, went through a major acquisition. Um, you know, I've raised a lot of money over the years. That was one of the most exciting raises I've done um, because we got to buy our largest partner at the end of it. Um, and really the through line there is like, how do you continue to bring vision to life is, is through incredible individuals and how do you mentor and nourish individuals through those processes? And so I'm now leveraging all those experiences to help um, founders and entrepreneurs lead their business into, into success, as I like to say. Um, and that could mean many different things, right? That's not like always a grand, beautiful plan. Um, sometimes it means winding it down. Um, and so I coach and um, step into interim roles at companies. Um, in mostly the operations space uh, and help, you know, founders bring their companies to the next level or decide what's best for them and help them bring that vision to life. Mm. What a journey. What I, a love, journey. I love how, whether we call it bread, breadcrumbs or like when these like strings, there's strings and there's through lines in life and just these constant next phase of journey where you learn something about yourself and then you go integrate it. You have lived experience, you reflect on it, and then you choose again, or you continue to choose similar paths. I'm curious for you going from what feels like the upbringing of, of a bit of an entrepreneurial vibe to you of like always working, always, you know, starting to work young, being self-sufficient into creative outlet and fashion and really honing the creative side to operator, what have been some of the greatest lessons you've learned about yourself on that path? Mm, that's a good question. Um, creativity for me isn't necessarily like putting paint to canvas or putting sculpture together. Creativity is how do you read a problem, right? I'll say it this way and pick out this, the, the through lines or the bits that are going to create the biggest impact. And um, I, I feel like that's a little abstract way to think about it, but, you know, really if you're, I'm going to speak poorly about myself for a second here. If you're a creative that doesn't make art that is like sellable or 
interpreted by others, you start to realize where your creativity actually sits. Um, meaning I would find I wasn't the most visually appealing or most creative. Like I could speak the language with people and pull out these, these great ideas, but it wasn't necessarily my idea. I really helped formulate the idea leveraging what was around me. And so I think that's the biggest lesson that I learned um, bridging that gap. Um, and that's kind of like an, an abstract way to answer that question. I just, I, I don't know how else to go about it. One of the gifts, my, my experience of you, and one of the gifts that I see time and time again, is you have an innate ability to hold space mm. and draw out of people, their greatest potential and a possibility that they cannot see. Mm. I sense that you see things in people that they do not see within themselves yet. Yeah. It's funny. I, <laughs> I did this job once and it was two massive companies and I was kind of the arbitrator between them. And one of them was like, Oh, I want this. And I heard what they wanted. And the table, the same people at the table heard the same thing. And they, we got back to the drawing board and we were all talking and they were like, well, they don't want that. They said that they wanted this. And I was like, well, I know that they use those specific words. However, if you read between the lines and you listen to their other words, this, this is what they're asking for. And it was documented, right? And we went and presented these creative ideas of which they did not pay attention to what I was suggesting. I was like, look, you know, they, they want, it was at the advent of Instagram and they mm -hmm. said in the room, I don't want Instagram layouts. And I was like, well, they don't want a typical Instagram layout. They want something new and inventive around this, which is kind of where the immersive experience started to come in. And so we went nothing into social media and I was like, this is what they want. I'm telling you, they want this. They want something that's going to be social and shareable. Um, and we presented these pretty good creative ideas. And we didn't get the job. Mm. Actually, it ended our contract. And it turns out three months later, they put out these full immersive Instagram ideas. And I was like, I just, I listen differently. I don't know what it is. It's inside of me. Um, I can kind of, I guess I feel really deeply Jackie. And I can feel when people can't quite express themselves and I have a great intuition and I trust it, I guess. Uh, yeah. So it's a fun thing. I love it. it. It is a gift. It's, I witnessed it over those four days of you sensing, you sensing, I'll use the word, like you felt something in the room and used words to draw out of people, even if they didn't have the words, the energy that needed to flow through them or come out or however it needed to come out. And it's such a, gosh, it's such a gift to be able to read energy because at the end of the day, we're also conditioned to say what we think we should say, or to use the script or this worked before. So I should say this again, or gosh, in my own life, like how many masks I put on to show up in ways that I think I should in different environments. And when you can have somebody just come in and pierce through that veil and actually say, wait, I actually see something different and pull all of the BS away and just see you for you is such a profound gift. And it leads me to this kind of observation. I'm curious how that then blends into your ability to help leaders take vision and bring it to life. I'm curious what feedback you've heard from leaders you've worked with in terms of somebody saying, like, I would say my experience of you is you just get me at a different level and you get the unspoken. So I'm yeah. curious how that resonates towards what you've done in career wise as well. It definitely resonates. And that's generally why I end up as, as number two. And I like number two, right? I, I like watching the play and being able to like, not manipulate, that's not the right way, but be able to maneuver through what, what is occurring. And yeah, I mean, like I've worked for some incredible leaders and, you know, I'm working with one right now and we've worked together. We worked together at Hyperloop. Um, whereas like, he's just like, she just understands my thought process. She knows the buttons to push. 
Um, and if there's ever a problem, we send, we send Aaron in. Like if you ever need to get something done or there's a problem that people can't solve, you send Aaron in, she'll come back with the synopsis of what's going on within the organization, what's wanted and needed, why it's wanted and needed, who are the players that should be at the table because mm -hmm. of their innate capabilities um, and what support are they gonna need? It's just, it's like a, it's a really, like I just, I read people in a way that allows me to see how we can uh, activate everybody mm -hmm. at the table um, to the best of their abilities, right? Um, and so that's the feedback, I mean, I've always liked place number two, which is also really helpful um, of, I can be your support. What do you want to get done? Um, I'm, you know, I love information because it allows you to paint a picture that will bring that vision to life, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I have all the information of what's going on, what are the financials? What are the constraints? You know, what are the goals? I can actually put a plan together pretty effectively and then read people and put them in the right place to execute the plan. So mm. I love that. I, I talk often about the work that we'll do on a strategy side from a people lens uh, strategically, and then obviously placing kind of players into the business. I talk about it a lot as like a puzzle, right? If I don't contextually understand your vision, your mission, what we're doing, your current reality, the growth plan you have in place then how do I figure out the puzzle piece that needs to be a part of your organization to unlock the greatest capability? You and I have had this conversation before around how people can be like an A player can deliver and unlock more than, you know, a lot of other, let's call it systems or technology within your business. People have an innate ability to just unlock potential that is unseen, which I think is really cool. I'm curious for you and your, your experience. So I, I play right now more in the attract talent phase. Yes, strategically, but then attract. I believe holistically, we need to think through a lens of attract, develop, retain great people so that you can continue to scale with that foundation of having the right players in the right seat at the right time. Mm -hmm. As a coach, I know that, you know, develop and retain is definitely a place that you play. As a number two, I'm sure you're thinking in the same kind of, in your own language, puzzle pieces of like, what are the right players we need to put in this puzzle to unlock things? Curious question for you, how has bringing the right people into different scenarios unlocked possibility for organizations you've worked for? Good question. Okay. People unlocking. So. Um, I think there's there's a couple critical things that I think about when putting the right people, like the possibility opening up when the right people are in the room. Um, I think you and I talked about this in one of our last conversations, which is around uh, if, if people feel comfortable with a group, um, they are more, I'll say creative just because that's where I sit, but they're more likely to... Uh, just just be more whimsical right be more playful and that unlocks possibility in a way that people just don't really think about in the in the corporate setting normally and so for me one of the most like largest feats there's a lot um <laughs> uh when you connect with somebody on a human level and you're able to connect the people in the room on a human level they're they're willing to do whatever it takes to get a job done and I just, I wholeheartedly believe that, right? When I'm out for your interests and I state that up front and I, and my um, actions enforce that, we're going to go places that nobody has thought possible. Um, and so one of those examples for me is I did this job once in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada um, at the Venetian Hotel. And we got in and we had everything scheduled and it was like beautifully, like, on paper, it was like gonna be a beautiful execution. And we got there and they were like, the owners of the hotel showed up this morning and we have to change everything. And it was one of those moments where I was like, huh, I need to not speak with this person. I need to speak with this person. And I just had that, like, 
very clear moment of these are the players who are going to support each other in the room. And we got them all together. And the owner of the hotel showed up, which was unprecedented. I did not think it was going to happen. And I basically laid it out to these people. I was as honest as I possibly could be. I'm in it for you. I want you to have the best experience for your investors, whoever you're here, whyever you're here. Let's make it happen together. And we did. And I think nine times out of 10, when you put people together that will put each other first, mm. you will always get the results you want. Always. Maybe there'll be some bumps, right? That's Everything's not hunky-dory. Um, but I think that's like, that's one of the best experiences I think uh, I've had. And also just, it could be repeated, right? As long as I'm out to, to you know, make sure that your interests are met, my interests are met, and we're going to be somewhere in the middle and we're going to work together to get a to make it happen. Does that answer your question? I kind of went yeah. on. No, I, I love the tangent because it's pulling something else forward for me. Um, curious question for you then. How do you get clarity on what everyone in the room is out to get? Hmm. What does that look like? Ask. Because <laughs> I'm like, I've been in the room where, you know, there's an elephant in the room and no one's saying what needs to be said. So yeah. I'm so curious in your perspective and lived experience, how you've been able to open people up to get real and not say what's scripted, but actually be from a human level. This is what I want. That is what you want. How do we find cohesion or find the places where we can meet? Yeah. Um, there's a thousand ways to ask the same question. And I think you just have to get creative, right? I was in a, I was negotiating something the other day. Um, and I asked this woman multiple times. I was, I was working with the woman who's going to negotiate what do you want? Well, I don't know. I kind of want a million dollars, this and that. Okay. Um, so what, you know, what's on the docket for you next, right? Another way to ask the same question. You just keep kind of going at it. Um, and you start to just wonder, right? With the person. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer than you want. Um, my tempo's relatively quickly, which you could probably pick up on. Um, but you just have to be curious about the person sitting across from you and repeat back to them, right? So I said, you know, to the, to the same woman, oh, so you want a million dollars. What would you do with a million dollars, right? Just like, let's go play for a little bit over here. Okay, come back. Oh, so if it wasn't a million dollars, what is a non-negotiable? What wouldn't work for you? Um, and it's just that deep set of inquiry and like, being relentless about how you get clear for them and making sure that you have it right, right? Which is why I repeat things back to people or ask it in a different way or make them imagine what would happen if they had that thing that they said they wanted. Because a lot of the times that's not what they want. Mm -hmm. And and that's that that conversation, like that volley back and forth will allow somebody to come to the, wait, I, I don't actually want a million dollars. I want $2 million uh, or, you know, whatever it is. I'm just using that as an example. Um, so, and, you know, you read people, right? Like you, you know, we talked about me being able to feel people. I could feel people on a, on a different level within my body. Um, and that gives me an indication like, oh, let's go check back in at that person sitting over there or hold on. That's, it doesn't quite sit right. Um, you experienced that with me, right? So mm -hmm. there was a couple people in that same group where I was just like, something's not right. And I'm just gonna be bold enough. And it, I don't even consider it being bold anymore. It's just who I am mm -hmm. to question again and again. And um, Trust me, it's not always fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I get into some difficult situations. Um, and I put myself in them, right? Um, but I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a deep essence of who you are where... Mm, I think I've, I've heard it said this way before, and this is what's coming forward for me right now. It's you can't unsee things that you see. No. And you get it gets to a point where... 
for so many years, I would see things and I wouldn't use my voice to acknowledge them or ask about them or inquire about them or be curious about them for myself and for others in the room. And as I've witnessed my own, um, what have I called it? Like this, like I'm detangling all these like crazy stories and, and perspectives I've created about my own life. As I'm untangling those, I'm learning more about myself and it's helping me see things that I didn't see before or shift my perspective to be open to something else. And I think that's something that I've witnessed within you is when you see things culturally, I think we sit back more than we lean in mm-hmm. holistically as more of like a blank statement. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most courageous acts is to lean in even in the act of discomfort or the feeling of discomfort. And it was really interesting to witness you. There's two or three examples that are coming to mind really clearly right now where I could sense that the whole room was feeling some sort of energy and you're the one who stood up and leaned in and asked one more question. So I can imagine how that then shows up in environments. I know that you're the same person in that room that you are outside of that room because that's just like authenticity is a through line for you. You are who you are. So I can imagine in a corporate setting, how that just unlocks conversations that people are afraid to have, have been unwilling to have up until that point in time, maybe haven't even asked themselves what they truly want. So there's just this lack of clarity that can show up. I think it's such a gift for the founders, companies, teams you've worked with to have somebody just genuinely be curious. Yeah. And I mean, I think any company that I, any person that I meet, I want them to be successful in their own right. It's just like, what else is there in life? You know, um, there's a funny story. I, I, I get it from my grandmother. I know that, um, she used to tell us the story about just being good at what you do. She's like, just be good at what you do. You know, like if you're going to go out and steal, just be really good at stealing. Right. Um, and how do you, she used to joke, there was this homeless man that would go through her alley and, and say the same story. And one day she was like, listen, you're going to get much more money if you change your story every single time. Like, I'm just so curious, how often does this work for you? <laughs> She's like, obviously it must, cause you keep using it. She's like, but come on. Um, and that was really her way of pushing somebody to be better right it was like Mm. and that's that's the fun of being in in life is is holding each other up and accountable um to being better and asking that difficult question that you know might ignite something in someone that they didn't know was there or you didn't know was there and um it's just I don't know it's for me it's like that's human connection yeah and you want everybody to succeed. It comes from that place. It comes from, I want to see you with a smile on your face, with something that you have, you know, as an accomplishment. And so I'm, sometimes love doesn't always feel great. You know, like sometimes it hurts. And also that's what makes us grow. Yeah. Um, love it. Love it. Two follow-up questions that came up for me as we've been chatting here. One, I'm curious what it feels like to sit in that number two role. When you think about COOs and you think about kind of heads of operations, number two integrators, we can call them a hundred different titles. What do you think founders actually need? Like, why have you been so successful in that particular role? And to other people who sit in that seat, what advice would you have from your own lived experience? It's a double whammy. Um, so the, to take the first question, um, what does it feel like to be in number two and what are they looking for? So, you know, founders generally have these big ideas that they sell and investors invest in them, you know, let's just think about it in a typical sense, because they have this idea and they themselves are charismatic or are a subject matter expert. And, you know, 
the idea needs to come to life. And so me sitting in the number two seat is, okay, let me get really explicitly clear on what that picture is. And this is kind of shifting into advice as well as CEOs need to be explicitly clear on what the vision and the mission of the company is um, so that they can then build the team and the plan to bring those results to fruition. Um, to me, that feels like the most invigorating, um, exciting seat of the house because you don't have to go out and raise the capital. Sometimes you, you got to have those conversations. I get to figure out how we're going to spend the money and deploy the money and make, make the most value out of that capital with the team um, make the most value out of the team. Who's, who's there and why are they there and what are they contributing? And, um, and really getting clear on like the relevance around the table and making sure that the team internally is aware of their relevance and the impact that they're creating, the value they're creating. Um, I think, I, you know, mm. I think it's like such an exciting seat. The, the systems and the processes only enhance the people, which only enhances the value, which only enhances the mission. Like it's all really circular. Um, and so I think the advice is be really clear about what you're delivering, when you're delivering it and why, and um, what the relevance is around the table and, and celebrating that, right? Mm -hmm. like, people aren't tools. They're just not. Um, and if you can make sure that every cog in the wheel is oiled and fed and happy and, you know, it's just going to create a product and, and a team that everybody wants to be a part of and work with. Um, so, yeah. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that goes all the way up to the board level too, right? Mm -hmm. That's also the fun place that the number two gets to sit in. It's like, I'm not necessarily on the board. Sometimes I am. However, I get to know the intimate details and, and requests of the board and how do we fulfill them? How do we knock them out of the park? And how do we say when they're not working and what would work? Um, that's also like a really fun space for me to sit is this isn't working, but it could work this way or it could work that way. Um, and so being open to other possibilities in, in that COO seat is really critical to success, I think. Um, again, I love how you're pulling through that creativity model, right? Like the, how your brain just worked there in terms of like what I'm witnessing is your ability to say like, hey, well, this doesn't work, but I'm not just going to come to you with a problem. I'm going to come to you with some alternative solutions of how I think we can unlock the outcome or the result based on feedback that we're getting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big selling point um, between working internally and externally for me is like, I, we, you know, we can develop the plan, but I'm not married to it, especially when you're developing a product or technology or, you know, anything really is, it's not so precious. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to get to a result or, a, you know, if not the same result, a better result, um, if you're open to it. Uh, so, so good. Yeah. So good. Uh, we have a lot of founders that tune in, uh, people who are growing businesses, people who are typically known as visionaries. They're the ones that love holding the vision for the company, holding the vision for what they're trying to create or make change in the world. I think it's so, it would be really interesting for them to hear from you. What are the benefits of having a number two? And here's why I asked the question. There's often times where I feel a rub or some resistance show up in the founder's language or even their decision-making when they feel like they have to hold everything together. They become the vision holder, the fundraiser, and the operator all at the same time. And resistance or fear can show up about letting any of those things drop because of the level of ownership or responsibility they feel to this grand vision or idea that they're, they're trying to bring to life. Yeah. So when I'm working with them, I sense that resistance and I can say from a people lens, Hey, this will unlock so much for you. I just think through a different lens, you're in that seat. What would you say to that founder? Well, it's interesting because generally that, that stems from like a space of, of wanting control mm -hmm. um, and potentially a little bit of mistrust or, or distrust or, or lack of giving trust. And I always say, 
you know, you need to give trust and just give it implicitly. And then people's actions allow you to learn whether you should continue to give the trust or you should retract some of it. Um, I think the benefits of having a number two are really the capacity at which you could spend your time on the things that you are most valuable at. And founders are generally most valuable at raising capital, making sure the vision is what it like to its highest level and iterating on that, right? Like some of them are subject matter experts and we need to be able to tap into that and they need the capacity to tap into that. Um, I have never met a founder who is like, I am so excited to raise money. They all say like, I want to be back in the business. And well, if you have a number two, you can do both, right? Like you can allow the business to run and operate while you're out raising capital or meeting clients. Um, and listen, it, it's a trusted, it's a trusted bond, right? And it's somebody that you have to, you know, that you can say this needs to get done and it gets done and it's better than you would have done it. Um, but it really unlocks the availability for, for founders to do what they're best at. And I think it's the same at all teams, Jackie, right? Like when you have somebody, uh, you know, I worked with this procurement lead and um, they were just incredible at their job and it really unlocked the availability for me to build the partnerships with our suppliers that I was re I was really good at. And that person was really good at making sure that the contracts were executed appropriately and delivered upon appropriately and knew when to bring me in as the hammer or me as the soft, you know, sell. Um, and it's just, it's really uh, invigorating mm. to be able to bring in a number two so that you can do what you're most, what you're put on this planet to do, right? Um, and we don't think about it in that sense um, because we lose control. We do. That's okay. You know, sometimes letting go is just the and key. Sometimes to not having a plan is actually the plan. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes not having a plan is what the plan requires you know? Yeah. And you're so right. Even if you're listening to this as a functional head, it's the number two through your lens. Like who is the number two who can unlock time capacity for you to step into what your gift is, what you're most qualified to do. I think about my time internally in HR as, you know, a head of HR, having a number two in my function allowed me to unlock what I needed to do in my own capacity. So I talk a lot to founders because that's who I serve mostly in that capacity of, you know, founder to COO relationship. That said, if you're tuning in and you're in a different function, think about it through the lens of your own business structure and who's your number two, who's the person that can really own what they're most qualified at to unlock your capacity and time to go after what your gift is. Yeah. Yeah. And it also reminds me of, you know, um, there's a couple of studies, but one that came to mind is, you know, mammals, th their capacity to lift is greater as two than one. Meaning if I could lift a hundred pounds by myself with someone else and they, and someone else can lift a hundred pounds by themselves together, we could probably lift 220 pounds. You add a third who could, who could lift a hundred pounds the combined three could probably lift 360 pounds. So your, your, your lift is much greater as a group than just singularly. And I think we forget about that um, as well. So I agree. I think in a lot of, a lot of contexts as leaders, you know, there's this like language that I've heard since day one, it's, you know, 20 years ago, when I first stepped into a corporate environment, this language has always come with me, which is it's lonely at the top, mm. right? It's lonely in leadership, or it's lonely at the top or this narrative that shows up. What would you say to that? Like when you hear that as a, just a statement that's been thrown around, like, what do you think about that? <laughs> I just say, who decided? Right. <laughs> up until like up until now <laughs> um uh, that's your choice yeah okay um i i don't disagree that there are things 
the statement probably comes from, you know, you can't share everything. Right. Um, however, sharing all information doesn't bring you closer to other people, right? Like you can, you can get to a point and be very honest with somebody. Oh, I can't share that for X, Y, or Z reasons, or it's your team and you can decide to trust them implicitly and say like, look, this is something, this is a pretty valuable piece of information and, um, it can't get out of our business or it can't go, you know, to this person, to, to this level, uh, within our organization. Um, but I really think we're the own arbitrators of, of our loneliness or togetherness and we decide nobody else does. Um, and there's plenty of other CEOs and founders in the world that think the same way. And so reach out to them. Mm. You guys have shared stories, commonalities, you know, like I, I just, I invite people to interact. If, if they have this preconceived idea that I can only be friends with CEOs, great. Be friends with a lot of CEOs. There's a lot around the world. And you could probably support each other in ways that you never thought possible. Mm. I love that. Thanks for breaking that down and also reminding us that the power is always within. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Our choice. Our choice. Our choice. Mm. Okay. So somebody's listening to this or like this girl's brain is I'm, I'm on the same frequency. Want to get to know her, want to know what she's up to these days. Talk about future forward, how, and what are you doing today in the workspace? Mm-hmm. I heard you say coaching and I heard you say interim work. So can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, so I'm working with a group of, of amazing individuals at uh, Take New Ground, which is, you know, you, we've been referencing this container we were in in Idaho. Um, they put on public trainings, but we also do a lot of private work. And so I really, uh, you know, I think that all of this experience lends to helping others be successful. And so um, reaching out via take new ground or, you know, however you want. Um, we work, we step into companies and help founders get really clear about what results they want to achieve within their organization. Um, and that's in a multitude of ways. And sometimes that's just coaching and sometimes that's interim work, right? We determine that the company needs a COO today and how do we support them, right? Like, again, the whole mission is how do we make sure that people are successful and they have a good time doing it and they're mm-hmm. fulfilled and it's meaningful. Um, and if it's not us, we'll put you in touch with the right people to do it, right? Like networks just exponentially increase as you just start to have these types of conversations where it's not necessarily me, it's what do you need and how do we make sure that you're taken care of? Mm-hmm. So. I love that. Well, we'll make sure that all links to you and how to get in contact with you, with you are in the show notes so that we can make sure that people get direct access to you and can reach out and have further conversation. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like, you know, not a good uh, social media person. I'll just like put it out there. I've tried and tried time again. It just hasn't hit yet for me. I like a traditional phone call or an email. Um, so let's keep it old school <laughs> friends. Let's just actually pick up the call, the phone and dial, dial and have a conversation with each other. All right. I want to circle back on one thing. Cause we talked about it in the beginning and I want to come all the way back. How has intentionally making decisions such as spending intentional time with your family all summer changed your outlook on life and changed your experiences in life? Mm. When you choose to be, I'll say, um, the rest falls into place. So I choose on a daily basis, minute by minute, moment by moment, who I want to be. And um, then that clearly outlines my intentionality. So going back to the family, it's like, what's most important to me right now is making that, making sure that my family, my husband and my two children, I have two boys, they're young, uh, three and six, uh, have a clear sense of who they are and what family means. And, um, you know, how do you just build a childhood and a life around that? Um, and so 
I want to be a creative leader for them. And I choose to be that every day. I choose love. I choose fun, um, <clears throat> honesty. And so then from there, how do you do that? You spend time with them, right? And then how do I support that? I do work that supports my, my way of being. Um, and so I really think that it starts with being. Um, and then everything flows out of that. Your intention flows out of who you want to be or who you want to become and why you're being that person. And then everything else, you know, falls in line. Um, and I think that human connection is really the critical thing that drives all of that, right? So family is incredibly important to me. And that is being connected with my family, being connected with my friends, making sure that you know, they're, they're experiencing everything. And, um, you know, that's not to say that they're not involved in my work, right? Mm -hmm. Like my six-year-old during COVID got a front row center seat to what it means to be a COO. The kid was, you know, at dinner sometimes asking me like, so mom, did you figure out how to design that equity plan so that everybody could do this and, and get the capital? <laughs> Have you raised the money? Like no joke. Um, and I just was really intentional with like, look, you're going to do this for 20 minutes while I do this call for 20 minutes and then we'll talk about it or not talk about it. Um, so yeah, it all starts with, with, with being, and then the intention falls out of that being. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate you so much for so many reasons, but for how you just served and led the conversation, you're wisdom, intuition, lived experience is a gift for all of us. And just can't thank you enough for taking the time to be here with us and to be on the show and to share your love in this community as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jackie. I really appreciate it. You're so fun. You bring like so much out of me. It's in, it's uh, it's really a gift. So I appreciate you. Same, same. We're just mirrors of each other. All right, guys, until next time, we'll see you again on the Jackie service show. Thank you for listening in to today's show. If there was a key message that landed with you, please share or send us a direct message on Instagram at Jackie Service and let us know. We love hearing from you. Also, to continue to keep this podcast growing, it would mean the world if you could take a minute and like and rate the show or share it with a friend. Our team is forever grateful. Until next time, we'll see you again on the Jackie Service Show.